Uh, faster than a speeding toddler. More powerful than a cocky teenager. Able to leap rollerblades and hockey sticks in a single bound. Look up on the ladder, it's dad changing a light bulb. A workman painting the ceiling? No, it's Supermom sorting through the laundry pile that has accumulated over the weekend. Strange alien to lazy teen. She hustles through the house with power and authority far beyond that of a mortal man. Yes, it's Supermom, who's disguised as a totally weird creature who never was a kid herself. She fights a never-ending battle of truth, justice, and just simple time alone in the bathroom. Come on, let's give it up for our moms one more time. Would you do that? Come on. All right. Well, uh, I don't know if you've seen this, but Newsweek uh, magazine did an article on, uh, like, the super mom, today's modern mom. As a matter of fact, I think we have a picture of it, uh, the modern mom. It was on the February uh, 2006 issue. There she is. Uh, February 2006, and uh, I, I, I love this picture. How many of you moms have ever felt like that would be great to have eight arms, right? How many of you dads think, I declare sometimes she really does have eight arms with all that she's doing? Uh, let me ask this question. How many of you dads are glad you're not the mom like the video portrayed, right? I'm, I'm really glad. Because remember the scene of the throwing up part? That's totally me. I ran the other way when that kind of thing happened. But uh, this picture of the contemporary mom that's on the cover of Newsweek has eight arms. And as you can see in the picture, two arms to hold the baby. One arm to hold a soccer ball because she's a soccer mom. One arm holding weights since she works out. The other one, she's holding high heels there because she is also a wife. One arm is holding a phone since she works and she runs a lot of errands and keeps the house balanced. Another arm is for cooking. Don't you love that? I mean, she's cooking in the midst of all that. And then you see in the other arm there, she's playing with a doll because she's trying to play with her kids and keep her kids entertained. And, and what I really like about this picture, if you look at it, she's got all this going on. And, and, and look right here. She's just smiling like nothing's going on. How many know, moms, that is just a faulty picture, right? <laughs> moms aren't, because I love this, and this is, this is what I love the most about this whole picture. Read right here. The myth of the perfect mom. And I think that a lot of people and a lot of moms try, and a lot of women, I just think that we live in a different world. And I think there's some things that... Uh, cause moms to be desperate today. If we just looked at it, not even from a spiritual perspective, I think there's some just some natural things that have created this whole desperation in the family and from moms. I think, first of all, uh, the divorce rate is greater than it's ever been. And so we've got a lot of single moms trying to raise their children, pay the bills, get them the cool clothes they need or simple just clothes and send them to school and work jobs. Some are working two jobs in this economy and, and just trying to raise children all along. I think the other thing that makes, uh, that adds to our desperation is the mobility of society. Um, you know, some of us when we grew up lived in the same neighborhood. My, my wife was fortunate enough to live in the same house our whole growing up years. 
How many of you did that? Kind of grew up in the same house? And what happens is the neighborhood becomes the bigger family, right? And you got mama, but you got mama B next door. She'll say, Johnny, you better get home. You know your mother wouldn't want you out here this way. You know, that kind of thing. And we don't have that so much today because we've become such a mobile society, a mobile generation. We drive into our garage doors that open, into our box and close the garage door, that kind of thing. And kids today aren't outside playing as much as they're inside with all the new gadgets and technology. I remember growing up, how many remember this, that we always had to be home by the time the street lights came on? And look at all the hands. You're a bunch of old folks in here. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> but uh, when the street lights came on, you tell that to today's generation, they're like, what? What's that, you know? And, and if you weren't, one of the neighborhood moms would tell you, you better get your butt home, you know, because you're going to be in trouble. And, uh, and everybody else was going home at the same time. And uh, so we have increased mobility. We have divorce rate. Uh, I think today there's probably more than ever a need for higher education. I think the years of the Industrial Revolution and the blue-collar workforce has shrank and uh, is smaller than it used to be, and the demands for higher education are greater than they used to be, and uh, so that's extended the, the, the parenting time and the time that kids are home and the cost of living and all those kind of things. Uh, there's also globalization where our world in these days have shrunk over the last three weeks. Patty and I have been on a lot of airplanes going a lot of different places, and it's amazing to me how many mamas I would see either texting or calling and they're trying to travel for their job and go here and there and, and go all over. Add sometimes to the, the desperation. And I in no way am trying to even act like I totally understand it and I don't really know the difference between the previous generation and this generation and all the challenges that come to it. But one of the things that, uh, whether you're a mom here today or not, uh, we're going to take a look at three what I call desperate housewives. Desperate uh, housewives that come right out of Scripture. And here's the thing I don't want to happen. Now, I'm not going to take a long time today. I know many of you have family plans. And I have learned if there's one day of the year that the preacher should not preach long, it's Mother's Day or I will forever be hated. So I don't want that to happen, all right? And uh, so I won't take long today. But I want to just kind of put some thoughts in your mind. And, and here's what I don't want to happen. I don't want every guy or non-mother sitting here to tune me out and think this is just about moms. Because as we look at these three desperate housewives, um, I think there's a lesson to learn from every one of them. And I think there's some keys that they use to get through their desperate times that every one of us can take a look at and use to get through desperate times. Because if you haven't ever been in a desperate time, then you're probably going to go through a desperate time. In fact, I'm not even going to say probably. If you live long enough, you will go through a desperate time. We have learned we're Christians. God loves us. We love God. We're going to heaven. One day we'll have a new heaven and a new earth and a perfect body and all that kind of stuff. But today we live in a fallen world. And bad things happen in our world, right? And sometimes that creates desperation. Desperation from things that aren't our fault and desperation from bad choices that are our fault. And regardless if you're a mom here today, we're going to take a look at three moms in honor of Mother's Day today that I think there's a lesson in them for every one of us uh, to learn. Let's look at the first one. The first desperate housewife is Eve. 
And uh, I mean, she's the, the, the number one mom. She's the first lady. And, um, and she's desperate. And she's desperate because of a lot of different issues that went on in her life. I'm sure that Eve had some pressure, first of all, because, you know, she, she's the first mom. And man, I hope I get this thing right. And, and she's desperate because they didn't have any parenting books at Barnes and Nobles for Eve. I mean, you know what I'm talking about, right? They, they didn't, uh, you know, just like today, kids don't come with instruction manuals, but you can Google a lot of things today. Eve didn't have a mother to go to. Eve didn't have a grandmom to say, hey, could you watch the kids? Me and Adam need a night out, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, Eve didn't have that. Not to mention, I mean, her life got pretty serious, pretty desperate, punishing you because you're not being enough. His favor is on us. We learned last week, Romans 8, 1, there is now, therefore, no condemnation. He's not punishing us, ladies and gentlemen. He already punished Jesus for us. And when bad things happen, it's not because God is punishing us. It's not because he's mad at us. It's that we live in a fallen world. And yes, sometimes there are consequences to decisions that we make. How many know Eve made a bad decision? And the decision that she made had consequences on her home. But the great part of God's grace, even in the Old Testament, is that God was able to redeem the bad choice that she made for even us today. And if you're here today and you've made bad choices and you're living in that consequences, what the devil meant for bad, God can turn around and make it good because where you're at is not where you have to stay. Is everybody grabbing that today? And that is God's gift to us. And uh, and, and so we look at her, and, and I don't know, I mean, this whole idea of Eve taking the forbidden fruit. Let's go all the way back for a minute. God, they're living in this perfect world. Now, you talk about living in the perfect subdivision, and her husband has the perfect job. They've got it. They're living in this beautiful garden. There's no seeds in the watermelon. There's no mosquitoes at the picnic. How many know what I'm talking about? This is like the perfect subdivision. Everything is great. Hubby's got a great job. She don't need anything. And to top it off, every evening they go out on a date with God. I mean, that's some cool stuff. And God says, look, this can continue as long as, Genesis 2.17, you don't eat of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And I don't know what it is, ladies. You're always blowing your diets. And Eve did the same thing, you know? I mean, Eve went to the refrigerator late at night. You know you've been there, all right? Those guys have too, but it's not Father's Day. It's Mother's Day, okay? And Eve goes to that refrigerator late at night, grabs the forbidden fruit. It might as well have been a piece of chocolate cake. Come on. And said, you know what? Nobody's looking. And the moment she did that, the, she opened the door to evil. She opened the door. Now she knows good and she knows evil. Before that, she only knew God. But now she knows good and evil, and evil was introduced. And the Bible said, if you eat of that tree, you will surely die. And immediately, for the first time, Eve's body began to die. Come on, how many ladies wish, for, if nothing else, Eve would have kept it straight for that reason, right? I mean, from that moment, she began to get little wrinkles that to this day were fighting. From that day, our bodies began to die. Hair started turning loose, you know, and uh, all those kind of things. Hair started turning gray, wrinkles. Again, it just says later, as in later that same day or later that same moment. Uh, that's irrelevant, but it's just a point of 
kind of information. And so now I want you to see that here's the point. Cain and Abel grew up in the same home, went to the same home school, went to the same Sunday school taught by mom and dad. So they, they were taught the same things, the same principles of the Lord. And then it goes on. And it says, in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruit of the soil as an offering to the Lord. Now, let me point something out here. Cain brought an offering from the work of his hands. Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn. Now, there's two important messages here. First of all, Abel pleased the Lord because he brought the first back to God. He didn't bring God his leftovers. And I encourage you as people that we need to live where we bring God our first. I believe it strongly in bringing the first of my money, the first of my time, the, the best that I have back to God. And, and God was pleased with that. But here's something I want you to see. Um, as Abel also brought an offering and fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock, the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry. Now, I remember reading this as a kid and going, what's up with that God? You know, I mean, why did you like Abel's and you didn't like Cain? And here's what's very important to understand. We find out later, then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your, in other words, you know better than to bring me this kind of offering. Why is your face downcast? Watch what he says next. He says, uh, yeah, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do what is right, sin, or excuse me, uh, if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go into the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and he killed him. I mean, there's so much in this story and I don't want to get derailed too much. But watch this. Cain killed Abel. Because God didn't accept Cain's offering, and he did accept Abel's offering, and Cain became mad at that. And ever since this moment, remember, Eve is desperate because she's opened the door, evil has come in, her two boys now are fighting, and one has killed the other. And that fight that we see in Genesis chapter number 4 is the same fight trying to work and strive and be all that. God says, no, 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 I'm not accepting that. That's not pleasing to me. What's pleasing to me is that you give your life to Christ, you accept the work of Jesus, and you live in that righteousness. Is everybody hearing that? And that same fight has been happening ever since Genesis chapter number 4. We got religious and legalistic people always trying to tell us that are living under grace and, and, and that that's not good enough. And there's always this contrast. And watch this. It's always, uh, and, and I'm going to use this word in a broad stroke, it's the churchy, it's the religious, it's the legalistic people that are always condemning and, if you would, killing those that are trying to live by grace. Is anybody following what I'm saying on that? And that, you talk about a soap opera, Eve sees this. And now Eve, man, you talk about the grief and the stress and the desperation and the depression and the guilt. And, and there's no other women to talk to. 
There's, there's nobody to say, hey, hey, can I come to Janice's small group? I've got an issue going on. There, there's no praying for your husband's small group. I mean, there's nobody else there to talk to. And, and, and Eve didn't have anybody there to criticize her. But how many of you ladies could understand that she probably criticized herself? She probably said, man, I'm just a terrible mom. I can't believe I've let this happen. And the moment you go down that road, how many of you know then the enemy jumps in on that and brings all the condemnation that we don't have to live under, right? So what did Eve do? That's the question. I want to solve the problem. What did Eve do? And this is for all of us. What did she do? Well, in Genesis chapter number four, there's a simple little verse that we could just read over as a historical fact. But I think there's a great spiritual truth inside of it. And so in Genesis chapter number 4, later in the chapter, verse number 25, watch this, and then let me explain it. It says this, Adam lay with his wife, and I love this word, again. Remember in the first part it said Adam lay with his wife, and they gave birth to uh, Cain and Abel. But it says Adam lay with his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth. Saying, God has granted me, watch, another. Everybody say another. another. Another child in place of Abel since Cain killed him. Here's my point. My point is this. Is that every one of us here, whether we're moms, whether we're men or women, every one of us, if you've lived long enough, you understand what it is. Not necessarily to have a child that dies. But most of us know what it is to have a dream that dies, a hope that dies, something that you plan. And let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, that's the lesson that we get out of the life of Eve, that you and I, we can dream again. So in your notes, here's the desperation. The desperation is the loss of a dream. Real simple. And there's many of us that we understand that desperation. Let me just... Just for the comfort of those that are facing that, how many of you have ever had something that you are heading toward? You had a dream, a vision, a plan towards something, and it didn't end up being all that you hoped it would be. Let me just see your hand. All right, everybody in the room. All right, see, like almost every hand has gone up. So the desperation is the loss of a dream. And some of you lost a dream five years ago. Some of you lost the dream ten years ago. Some of you lost the dream a long time ago, and you're still living with that loss. But here is the solution. Here's the desperation. Here's the solution. Dream again. I promise you, if you'll get alone with God, He'll stir something inside of you. And what was, was, and that's yesterday. And I want to say it again. Where you're at is not where you have to stay. And what you have is not all that you can have. You're never too old. You're never too down. You've never done too much wrong that God can't birth something brand new in your heart and your life. Amen? Come on. All right. The second mom, the second desperate housewife is Jochebed. Now, many of you might not know who she is, but you know who her son is. She's the mother of Moses. Now, about of all the scripture moms, this mom reminds me of my mom. Uh, I, I, Jochebed is this amazing woman. By the way, I know my mom's watching online. If you'll excuse me, happy Mother's Day, mom. I love you, all right? And uh, Jochebed reminds me of my mother. Jochebed lived in this tragic time, in a desperate situation, and her desperation made her live with desperate solutions 
And what she went through helped her son become the amazing leader that we know Moses to be. I want you to think about her life for just a minute. And I think you'll agree with me that it was very desperate. She's desperate, first of all, because her son is in danger. Now, come on, moms. How many of you know if your child is in danger, that makes you pretty desperate, right? Do not mess with a mama's child. You know, I mean, you know the moms that pick up cars because their kids are in trouble? That, that's true stuff, I, and I don't want to tempt them. You know what I'm talking about, right? So, Jochebed, she's desperate because her son is in trouble. Now, let me, for those of you that don't know the time in history, let me kind of catch you up a little bit. She lived in a very dangerous environment. She was a slave in a foreign country. She had no rights. She was forced into manual labor. She worked hard. And she took Moses and she put him in the basket. And she put him, the Bible says in Exodus chapter 1, she put him in the Nile River. Now, it'd be easy for us if we picked up in the middle of the story to say, what's up with that? That is a terrible mom putting a son in that kind of environment. Can I tell you, when I grew up, I was in certain environments that I wished I hadn't have been in. I've seen things, heard things, experienced things that as a kid and even as an adult, I wished I would have never done. I grew up with a Jochebed. I grew up with a mom that I love and I appreciate her innovations and her hard work. But we were oftentimes in desperate situations. And, and many times I felt like Moses in the Nile. And, 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 and I don't really know. I could have studied a little more of the, 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 the enemies, if you would, or the things that were in the Nile River. I don't know if the Nile had crocodiles or alligators or disease and mosquitoes and poisonous snakes. I don't know. But I'm, I'm sure it wasn't the best environment. Would, would you at least agree with me on that? I mean, it's a lot different than a bassinet beside the bed. I mean, you know what I'm saying, right? And it wasn't the perfect situation. I don't know the full details. My mom has told me the story. I don't remember it. But one of our desperate situations was that when my mom and dad separated uh, sometime in there before their divorce, I lived in the backseat of a car with my mom. I don't know how many days or how many weeks that was, but as she was trying to financially get on her feet, she would go to work and, and bring me to a child care in the day, and she would go to work during the day, and at the night, our, our home was the backseat of her car. And, and, and throughout that experience, the people that were watching me as a baby didn't want to give me back to my mom. They wanted to keep me because they didn't like the Nile River we were in, the atmosphere that we were in. And here's one of the things that I find extremely uh, interesting about the story. See, Moses was positioned to become a great leader because his mom was desperate enough to find a solution to the horrible problem they were in. And I want to say to everybody in the room, don't ever give up. There is always a solution with God. And you and God are always a majority. And the place of your greatest resistance is the point of your greatest breakthrough. You see, I find it interesting that Jochebed took Moses and put him in the water. In an uncomfortable, not so perfect situation. And I think it's those situations that when we give them to God, God come generational curses. And now Moses is leading millions of Israelites through the Red Sea. And today I'm leading my children and helping others 
break that generational curse. And while you thank me, there's a Jochebed, there's a mama behind all of that that said, though we don't have the ideal situation, my mama taught me how to overcome those tough things. Amen? Amen. So the desperation for Jochebed, I've just put it real simple. Jochebed, your desperation is a big problem. I know it doesn't sound like a spiritual word, but fill in the blank. It's a tragedy. It's a valley. It's an obstacle. It's a big problem. Here's the solution. The solution is be a part of the answer. You see, I just don't believe we can sit around and pray and say, God, I want my ship to come in. I think that while we're waiting for our ship to come in, we ought to be building a dock for it to port to. Amen? In other words, I think that we should be willing to be a part of the answer to every prayer that we're praying. Don't pray just for a good marriage. Do something about your marriage. Don't pray for godly kids. Do something about raising godly kids while you're praying. Everybody receive that one today? Let's look at our last desperate housewife. Our last desperate housewife is Hannah. Now, Hannah, her story's a little bit different. You'll find her in 1 Samuel chapter number 1, and all that's in your notes for you to dig a little deeper. But Hannah, she's desperate because she couldn't have children. And Hannah is praying, and, 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 and she's so desperate that she makes a vow to God. That God, if you'll do this, I'll make sure to do this. Now, I don't recommend bargaining with God. But Hannah is in a desperate situation. Now, let me help you understand. In Old Testament times, a married woman without a child, there, there was a lot of shame to that. People looked down on those women. It's like, there must be something wrong with your life and all those kind of things, God's judgment. Now, to make stories worse, come on, moms, you can, you can imagine the emotion of this. To make it worse, not only did she not have a child, and there was a shame connotation in the Old Testament with that, but not only that, she was one of two wives of a man by the name of Elkanah. I mean, no, that's a pretty weird situation anyway, right? But in that Old Testament, that's a little more accepted. And, um, and, and here's what made it worse. The other wife had children. And she continued to make fun of Hannah for not having children. I mean, can you imagine that? The feelings of inferiority, the feelings of not being good enough, not being loved as much by the husband as the other wife, the hurt, the rejection, being shamed and desperate and all that. But here's what Hannah did. Hannah took her desperation to God. And, and, and many of us have experienced that. Lack of fruitfulness, lack of significance, lack of success, feeling like I'm not accomplishing anything. Well, when we bring that to God, God's solution is when we give it to God, He would make that thing that's barren, that's empty, that's not profitable. God has the ability to make it fruitful. That's why I say what I say just simply on the subject of finances. See, I, I truly believe that, that if what's in my hand isn't big enough, I bring that back to God and God can <clears throat> multiply that. If I don't have, it's amazing. If I spend my first 30 minutes every day with God, how much more I accomplish in a day than I do when I don't spend that first few minutes with God. God can take those things that seem barren and He can multiply those things. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, whenever you become desperate in life, and life pushes you up against